Just a year and a half ago in the solemn assembly, I was asked to present the, for the sustaining vote of the members the new president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. As prophet, seer, and revelator, President Harold B. Lee, together with the other general authorities and general church officers. President Lee was an outstanding, dynamic leader, loved and respected by all, and much was accomplished in this short time that he presided over the Church. We were all shocked and saddened indeed at his passing. We realize, however, that the Lord has called him home to his great reward and to a different service. <coughs> Following his passing, our beloved Spencer W. Kimball was called, set apart, and ordained as prophet, seer, and revelator, and as president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I should like to bear my witness that President Kimball was chosen by the Lord and foreordained to preside over the Church at this particular time. Miracles have been performed in his behalf in order to make it possible for him to be here in good health to receive this high honor and to assume this heavy responsibility placed upon him. He has been enthusiastically sustained by the stakes in their state conferences in the solemn assembly this morning. It is truly an honor, a privilege, and a blessing for me to be called as his counselor, and I do hope and pray that the Lord will give me the wisdom, the judgment, the inspiration and ability, together with my determination, to serve under his direction in an acceptable manner to him and to the Lord in helping to build the kingdom of God here upon the earth. I call upon all members of the Church everywhere to close ranks, to accept and support him as one called of God, as a prophet, seer, and revelator, an apostle of Jesus Christ and president of his Church and kingdom, and to assume their individual responsibilities in helping to further the cause of righteousness, in working out their own salvation and exaltation. Further, as the Lord said, Wherefore thou shalt give heed unto all his words and commandments which he shall give unto you, as he receiveth them, walking in all holiness before me. For his word ye shall receive, as if from mine own mouth, in all patience and faith. For by doing these things the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. Yea, and the Lord God will di disperse the powers of darkness before you and cause the heavens to shake for your good and his name's glory. Unquote. It was just 144 years ago that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was organized under the direction of the Lord, and the Prophet Joseph Smith was called by him as the first president of his Church in these the latter days. And the members were given the instructions I have just quoted. We all have the responsibility of going forward and helping to build the kingdom of God and furthering the cause of truth and righteousness, bringing souls unto Christ. Also, we are reminded that next week we celebrate the day on which our Lord and Savior, by the great miracle of resurrection, broke the bonds of death and was raised from the tomb as a resurrected being. It is natural, right, and proper that Christians everywhere should turn their minds and hearts in gratitude to the great sacrifice made by Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, who gave his life for you and me and all mankind, that our sins may be forgiven and that we might be resurrected and enjoy immortality and eternal life. For he said, This is my work and my glory 
to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. He also said, This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Then, as recorded in John, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Much has been said in this conference, and more will be said, I am sure, about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the great miracle of the resurrection, and his message to the world. It is by him and through him only that we have hope of resurrection and life after death. Through his prophets and by his own teachings, he gave us the plan of life and salvation, which, if accepted and lived, will give us the greatest joy and success and happiness while we sojourn here upon the earth and eternal life hereafter. While here he taught us the importance of prayer and how to pray, and it is on this subject that I should like to address you for just a few moments. He said, When thou prayest, thou shalt shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Use not vain repetitions. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. And he could well have said, After this manner, therefore, live ye. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This is often referred to as the Lord's Prayer, with the thought that it should be repeated regularly and verbatim, where in reality said, After this manner, therefore pray ye suggesting that the things he referred to should be in our minds and in our hearts. But prayer is a direct personal relationship in which we acknowledge our Father in heaven and must be sincere, expressing simply in our own words our feelings of gratitude and the asking for the guidance and blessings of which we stand in need. First, as the Lord said, the door must be shut against the distractions of the world so that we may concentrate on what we are saying to our Father in heaven. Let us analyze the meaning of the words in the sample of prayer which our Lord has given us. He said, Our Father, which art in heaven. By these words we acknowledge God as our Father, the Father of all mankind and all men, whoever they are and wherever they may be, are invited to call upon him as their Father, which art in heaven. What a glorious thing it is to realize and to know that we can go to our Heavenly Father without appointment, pour out our souls to him in all simplicity and faith, knowing that he is there and can and will hear and answer our prayers. We know that he is a living God who dwells in heaven, that we are his spirit children, and that his Son, Jesus Christ, has instructed us, regardless of who we are, to call upon God and to acknowledge him as our Father. Next he said, Hallowed be thy name. 
how important it is that God's name should be hallowed in our daily conduct and particularly in our worship. We can best hallow the name of God by sanctifying his name and helping others to sanctify it. We should sanctify his name by showing love and reverence and in calling upon him in worship, doing all these things that would be bound to his glory. As we think thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, we must realize that there is only one way by which this can be accomplished, and that is by our accepting him as our God and by living his commandments and helping to build his kingdom here upon the earth. His Church and His Kingdom has been established here upon the earth today, and it can be built up only as we accept His teachings, live them, and teach them to the world. The Lord, speaking to the Prophet Joseph Smith in 1831, said, The keys of the kingdom of God are committed unto man on the earth, and from thence shall the gospel roll forth unto the ends of the earth as the stone which is cut out of the mountain without hands shall roll forth, until it has filled the whole earth. Call upon the Lord, that his kingdom may go forth upon the earth, that the inhabitants thereof may receive it, and be prepared for the days to come, in the which the Son of Man shall come down in heaven, clothed in the brightness of his glory, to meet the kingdom of God which is set upon the earth. Wherefore, may the kingdom of God go forth, that the kingdom of heaven may come, that thou, O God, mayest be glorified in heaven, so on earth, that thine enemies may be subdued, for thine is the honor, the power, and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. If we, pay, if we pray that his will be done, we must be prepared to do our part. My father said to me when I was a boy, If you want your prayers to be answered, you'd better get on your feet and go to work. There's no use praying for the kingdom to come and his will to be done unless we are prepared to do something about it. As we consider the words, Give us this day our daily bread, we might well say our daily needs. As we, we should recognize that we are entirely dependent upon the Lord for all that we have. He is our creator and the giver of all things. He has given us a brain by which we can think and reason and learn, and he expects us to use our knowledge and the skills we develop to produce abundantly that, th that we may supply our own needs and share with our neighbors. We are admonished to pray regarding all our personal needs and over everything that retain pertains to our welfare. How important it is to be worthy to call upon our Heavenly Father and ask for his help and express our gratitude for the bounties of life and all his wonderful blessings. As we pray, we should determine to use these blessings wisely for the benefit of ourselves and others, for furthering the Lord's work, and for the glorification of his name. Only as we do the will of, our God, of God do we acknowledge his sovereignty. As we analyze the words, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, we should realize that he has given us scripture and sent us prophets to teach us. And as we accept these teachings, we will be led away from and not into temptation. Keeping the commandments and following the teachings of Jesus Christ will give us the strength to resist temptation 
and we will be delivered from evil because we will not be associating ourselves with evil or putting ourselves in a position where we will be tempted to do that which is wrong. In the Gospel of Mark we read, Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. Unquote. We must pray for courage and strength, desire, determination, and ability to be honest, true, chaste, benevolent, virtuous, and to do unto others as we should have others do unto us. Prayerfully and continually search for the truth. We should seek after anything virtuous, lovely, good report, or praiseworthy. By so living, we will be helping the Lord answer our pleas, lead us not into temptation, and we will be delivered from evil. Let us consider, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It is interesting to compare this version as recorded by Matthew with those of Luke and Mark. Luke says, And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Mark expresses it this way, And when ye stand praying, forgive, if ye have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. The Lord has said, I, the Lord, will forgive whom I will forgive. But of you it is required to forgive all men. We are further admonished to forgive many times, even seventy times seven. We should stop and ask ourselves if we are prepared to ask the Lord to forgive us our sins and trespasses only as we forgive our friends and neighbors. How wonderful it would be if we would all forgive and love our neighbors. Then it would be much easier for us to call upon the Lord to forgive us of any of our wrongdoings. And as we repent and bring forth fruits meet for repentance, we can expect God's forgiveness and mercy to be extended to us on our behalf. The scriptures are clear concerning such forgiveness. We read, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Further, wherefore I say unto you that ye ought to forgive one another. For he that forgiveth not his brother his trespasses standeth condemned before the Lord, for there remaineth in him the greater sin. Our Lord gave us an example of the true spirit of forgiveness when he said from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We read also of that faithful disciple, Stephen, who was persecuted and stoned. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. How important it is for us to apply in our lives those great principles of repentance and forgiveness. Let us always remember that the one who carries a grudge or ill feelings toward a neighbor and does not forgive is the one who is uncomfortable and unhappy and ill at ease. And continuing in this course will canker his soul and in him will remain the greater sin. There are numerous stories with beautiful endings where a person who carried grudges or harbored ill feelings toward others 
have had the courage and strength later on to go and apologize, showing love and making reconciliation, resulting in a beautiful new relationship where both are greatly relieved and happy together. Now let us ponder the words, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Again we are reminded that God is our Father and acknowledge that the kingdom we seek is His and that all good is accomplished not in and of ourselves but by His power and His glory. We must give thanks to Him for all that we receive, <coughs> realizing the importance of expressing our gratitude by the way we live and serve Him and our fellow men. May we always remember and acknowledge that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, came and gave his life for you and me, and accept his teachings as the way of life and salvation, and be prepared to live that we may be found worthy of his sacrifice as we prepare ourselves to enjoy immortality and eternal life. As we do this, we will bring glory to his name and salvation to ourselves. Amen is a word as used in closing as an expression of solemn ratification or hearty approval of what has been said. Let us truly mean it and show it by our words and deeds. As we pray, let us remember the prayer offered by Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. Quote, then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto them, his disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a little further, and fell on his face, and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. How important it is that we are prepared to say, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Let us listen to the word of the Lord in more recent times. Hearken, O ye people of my Church, to whom the kingdom has been given. Hearken ye, and give ear to him who laid the foundation of the earth who made the heavens and all the hosts thereof, and by whom all things were made which live and move and have a being. And again I say, hearken unto my voice, lest death shall overtake you in an hour when ye think not. The summer shall be past, and the harvest ended, and your souls not saved. Listen to him who is the advocate with the Father, who is pleading your cause before him. I bear witness that God li does live, that he stands ready to hear and answer our prayers through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We can glorify his name and help to build his kingdom, which is established upon the earth, only as we live his teachings and keep his commandments. May we do this, I humbly pray, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. My dear brothers and sisters, I have truly been inspired by the words of our beloved prophet as well as my brethren. The beautiful prayer and music have likewise contributed 
to making this conference another remarkable spiritual experience. In the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, members frequently use words that have a special meaning, one of which is testimony. Members bear or relate their testimonies to other members at special testimony meetings and at times avail themselves of the opportunity to bear their testimonies to non-members. In bearing their testimonies, members generally testify that they know that God lives and that his Son, Jesus Christ, is our Savior and Redeemer and that the restored gospel of Jesus Christ is the divine plan of life that brings happiness and growth to those who accept it and make it a part of their daily lives. President Harold B. Lee expressed it this way, Within the gospel of Jesus Christ may be found the solution of every problem confronting us, which will enable us to find happiness here and eternal life in the world to come. It has been stated that the purpose of the gospel is to change people's lives, to make bad people good and good people better, to change human nature, and how true this is. President Brigham Young said, You cannot find a compass on the earth that points so directly as the gospel plan of salvation. It has a place for everything and puts everything in its place. Some members of the Church possess powerful and unfaltering testimonies, while others possess less forceful testimonies. It should be recognized that testimonies can be acquired, testimonies can be kept, and testimonies can be lost. It is not uncommon to hear Church members declare that their testimony is their most prized possession. A convert from Seattle, in answering the question, What has the Church done for you? replied, Everything. My life now has purpose and meaning. Now what can I do for the Lord? I owe him my all. Another convert living in Arizona had this to say. One brother was extremely instrumental in our becoming members of the Church. We will ever be indebted to him and thankful to him for asking us what we knew about the Mormon Church and would we like to know more. Through the missionary discussions, we were thoroughly convinced that this was the true Church. And the thing that has changed my life the most is that I have found a purpose in life and a certain peace of mind I have never felt before. I know with all my heart that this is the true Church and that Christ lives and God lives. These convert testimonies are truly inspiring and have emphasized the value of the gospel to them and to their families. I have borne my testimony many times to people who were interested in knowing more about the Church, and they have asked me, How can I obtain a conviction of the truthfulness of the restored gospel? Yes, a testimony to this effect. 
My answer has been, study the gospel, pray, and attend church. This formula, when followed, will bring a conviction or testimony that the restored gospel of Jesus Christ is true. And when one accepts the gospel plan and lives its principles, it will bring them peace, happiness, growth, and development. However, to obtain a testimony, one must have a real desire to know the truth and must be willing to exert considerable effort. The interested person must study the gospel, and the gospel is to be found primarily in the Bible, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price, the four standard works of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. In this dispensation, the Lord has counseled us to seek out of the best books words of wisdom, seek learning even by study. Jesus said, Know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I feel sure that part of this freedom Jesus refers to must be freedom from ignorance, as ignorance is a deterrent to happiness, growth, and development. Through study of the scriptures, we can understand our relationship to God and how the basic gospel principles apply to our daily lives. Our study, however, should be constant and intensive as the gospel of Jesus Christ embraces all truth. Now regarding the second step to acquire a testimony, prayer. The prophet Joseph Smith observed that it is the first principle of the gospel to know for a certainty the character of God and to know that we may converse with him as one man converses with another. Near the end of the Book of Mormon, Moroni, a great leader, gave this promise. And when ye shall receive these things, I would exhort you that ye would ask God the Eternal Father, in the name of Christ, if these things are not true. And if ye shall ask with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in Christ, he will manifest the truth of it unto you by the power of the Holy Ghost. And by the power of the Holy Ghost, ye may know the truth of all things. Although this promise specifically refers to the Book of Mormon, I am sure as you study the Bible, the Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price, you will find that the promise is likewise applicable to these scriptures. Prayer plays a vital part in our religious thinking and in our daily lives. One of my convert friends told me, because the elders emphasized that we should pray, I did. I barely had asked the questions when this beautiful answer came. Yes, that was the start of my new life. Another convert said, I used to pray, not often, but I did pray before we became members. I prayed that someday my husband and I would grow closer together. <clears throat> I never thought it would come to be. But the church was my answer. We found the power of prayer. I'm so thankful for the church. Prayer then must accompany study for one to obtain a testimony of the truthfulness of the restored gospel. The third part of the formula to obtain a testimony is to attend church and become involved in church activities. 
My Arizona convert friend also had this to say. The first time we visited a ward meeting, I felt such a warm, loving feeling. All the people seemed to have a smile on their face and a hearty handshake for us. We felt so welcome, and we knew we wanted to be a part of all of this. This was the only way. She continued. Another aspect of the Church I love is its constant learning, developing, and growing power. I am grateful for the opportunity to work in the Church because this constant contact is helping us to grow and develop in the gospel. Another convert expressed it this way, As my husband and I were baptized, I had no idea just how involved we would become. My first calling was that of a chorister in the sacrament meeting. Then I was asked to be a Maya maid leader. I asked the question, What is a Maya maid? I learned from experience. That is a girl the delightful age of 14. The girls have so much enthusiasm and energy. I'm thrilled with my calling in MIA. It keeps me feeling young and needed and busy. My husband, too, has held many positions in the ward, and his determination and dedication have been a strength to me. After listening to these converts' testimonies, it is easy to see why so many members of the Church declare that their testimony is their most prized possession. Many thousands have received a testimony, a conviction of the truthfulness of the restored gospel, by following the formula, study, pray, and attend Church. They have thus been able to better interpret the scriptures and find their place in the eternal scheme of things. To those of you who feel you have a firm testimony, remember a testimony is never static. A testimony can be lost. To keep it alive, it must be fed. Continue to study, pray, and attend Church and be involved. This will not only keep your testimony alive, but it will expand and become more meaningful in your life. I bear my testimony to you that the Holy Ghost has borne witness to me that God lives and is the Father of our spirits, that Jesus Christ is our Redeemer and Savior, and that Joseph Smith was a great prophet, chosen by God to restore the gospel in its fullness and the power to act in his name in this dispensation. The Holy Ghost has also borne witness to me that President Spencer W. Kimball is a modern-day prophet who leads and directs the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints today. May the Lord bless and sustain him in his great calling, and may we sustain him and have the courage and foresight to follow his counsel. This testimony has a beneficial influence in every phase of my life and I can readily understand why so many Church members bear witness that their testimony is their most prized possession. I bear this witness to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. During this conference, we have formally installed a new president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. 
it was a momentous occasion. Only 12 times in the 144 years of our history has this been done. In the solemn assembly held this morning in the tabernacle, President Spencer W. Kimball was accepted by the vote of the people as the president of the Church, but also as the prophet, seer, and revelator of the Lord. The voting was unanimous. The positive and affirmative confirmation of the Holy Spirit was here also. Everyone in the great tabernacle felt the presence of that divine influence. It was experienced also by those who listened on the radio and witnessed the proceedings by television. And as was the case in the days of Moses, all the people say Amen. And what a wonderful man has been chosen. Having directed the Council of Twelve for several years and having served as President of the Church by action of the Council of the Twelve in the interim period from President Harold B. Lee's death until this conference, he now is sustained by the vote of the membership as their divinely appointed spiritual guide and the interpreter of the word and will of the Lord. He has accepted this high position in deep humility, but although humble and unassuming, he is nevertheless a tower of strength, a man of great initiative and foresight, a doer in every sense. Through the more than thirty years of his apostolic ministry, he has been known throughout the Church for his almost incredible energy, his boundless enthusiasm for the work, his selflessness, his full determination to place his all upon the altar as his contribution in the building of the kingdom of God. His dedication is without bounds. He is a fully consecrated servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. His health has been restored miraculously to permit him to fulfill this great ministry. His healing is one of the tangible evidences of the divinity of his call. It was an act of God. In the exercise of the unusual strength with which the Lord has endowed him, he never forgets its source and seeks constantly to know and to do the will of the Master. With all of his energy and enthusiasm, he nevertheless is completely Christlike in his kindness and compassion, in his meekness, in the depth of his understanding of other people and their problems, and in his desire to help them. Literally and individually, he has taken the hands of thousands of wayward ones and brought them back to the path of salvation, showing them a new light, giving them new hope, making possible their return to the way of the Lord. When correction has been needed, as he has seen that need, it has been given, but always in love and kindness, with a hand soft and sympathetic yet firm in righteousness. When difficult tasks confront him, and the present one is his greatest, he never flinches from duty, 
but approaches it in faith and prayer and in the full strength of his noble personality. As a result, the work is always done and done very well. Constantly aware of his own personal limitations, he nevertheless knows that this is God's work and that the Lord uses humble people to accomplish his purposes. President Kimball is a firm believer in the words of Nephi, who said, I know that the Lord giveth no commandment unto the children of men, save he shall prepare a way for them that they may accomplish the thing which he commandeth them. This is part and parcel of his faith. It is the secret of his success. The program of the Lord will go forward now as it always has done, for the Almighty will work through and daily direct President Spencer W. Kimball. The work will never fail, nor will it be given to another people. As the Church members today, by unanimous vote, sustained our new President, they not only took upon themselves a great responsibility in pledging to follow him, but they also preserved a vital principle of the restored gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Their vote was a covenant made with uplifted hands before God and witnesses who were numbered in the hundreds of thousands, in the tabernacle, on the radio, and by television. When we sustain our president, we agree to follow his direction. He is the mouthpiece of the Lord for today, and that has great and significant meaning. When this matter came up in the days of the Prophet Joseph Smith, the Lord, speaking of his leaders, said, They shall speak as they are moved upon by the Holy Ghost, and whatsoever they shall speak when moved upon by the Holy Ghost shall be scripture shall be the will of the Lord, shall be the mind of the Lord, shall be the word of the Lord, shall be the voice of the Lord, and the power of God unto salvation. As members of the Church, by voting to sustain our new President, we have placed ourselves under a solemn covenant to give diligent heed to the words of eternal life as he gives them to us. The modern word of the Lord says, You shall live by every word that proceedeth forth from the mouth of God. And how are we to receive that word? Through his prophet. That has been the divine pattern from the beginning. Through Amos came the revelation saying, Surely the Lord God will do nothing but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. This was the Lord's pattern throughout the Old Testament. It was true in New Testament times, and it is true today. When the Church was organized 144 years ago, the Lord made this clear by restoring the principle that the leader of his Church on earth shall also be his spokesman and not any self-appointed individual seeking to build up a following of his own. On April 6, 1830, speaking of the newly appointed President of the Church, 
The Lord declared that his president shall also be his mouthpiece. Having done so, the Lord designated him as prophet, seer, and revelator. And then the Lord commanded the membership as follows. Wherefore, meaning the Church, thou shalt give heed unto all his words and commandments, which he shall give unto you as he receiveth them, walking in all holiness before me. For his word ye shall receive as if from mine own mouth in all patience and faith. Then followed this great promise, if we will thus obey. For by doing these things, the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. Yea, and the Lord God will disperse the powers of darkness from before you and cause the heavens to shake for your good and his name's glory. What more can we ask? This points up a great principle and an added lesson that we must learn from today's voting. It is that there can be only one head of Christ's Church on earth at one time, and he must be chosen and sustained just as President Kimball was today. No man can take it unto himself. He must be called of God as was Aaron. Neither does the Lord allow for any secret ordinations in his work. To be valid, everything is done publicly and by the vote of the people. Said the Savior, It shall not be given to anyone to go forth to preach my gospel or to build up my church, except he be ordained by someone who has authority, and it is known to the church that he has authority and has been regularly ordained by the heads of the church. And then the Lord said, All things shall be done by common consent in the church, which means by public knowledge and public vote. And he said further, No person is to be ordained to any office in this church where there is a regularly organized branch of the same without the vote of that church. And again, a commandment I give unto you that you should fill all these offices and approve of those names which I have mentioned or else disapprove of them at my general conference. This rules out cultists of all kinds, false teachers and false leaders of every description, and puts the Lord's people on notice that there is but one clear directing voice in the Church, and that is the voice of the prophet, seer, and revelator, duly chosen by revelation and accepted by the vote of the people in the general conference of the Church. For today, that man is Spencer W. Kimball. President John Taylor, in speaking of the process of voting by which our president is sustained and which process we have followed today, said, This is the order that the Lord has instituted in Zion as it was in former times among Israel. This is emphatically the voice of God and the voice of the people. When President Brigham Young discussed this subject, he said, The Lord has but one mouth 
through which to make known his will to his people. When the Lord wishes to give a revelation to his people, when he wishes to reveal new items of doctrine to them or administer chastisement, he will do it through the man whom he has appointed to that office and calling. And that man is the president of the Church. Brigham Young further said, The Almighty leads this Church, and he will never suffer you to be led astray if you are found doing your duty. It was President Heber J. Grant who added, You have no need to fear that any man will ever stand at the head of the Church of Jesus Christ unless our Heavenly Father wants him there. Now, what authority does President Kimball have? As president of the Church, he holds all the keys and powers ever given by the angels to the Prophet Joseph Smith in the restoration of the gospel in this last dispensation. He has received these powers by the laying on of hands of those in authority. I repeat, he has received all these powers by the laying on of hands of those previously possessing them and holding the authority to give them to President Kimball. Every president of the Church has possessed these keys and powers. No president of the Church could function without them. The Church itself could not function without them. If the Prophet Joseph Smith had taken these keys of authority with him into the grave, could we do our work today? This work cannot be done without those keys. It was necessary that they be held in perpetuity by the leaders of the Church. If Joseph had taken with him to the grave the keys of saving the dead, could we do our temple work? Could we preach the gospel to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people without the authority to do so? If Joseph had taken with him into eternity the keys of the gathering of Israel, could Israel be gathered? Would our pioneers have come to the tops of the mountains in fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah and here establish the headquarters of the Church unless they held the divine right to do so? And there will yet be a worldwide gathering of the Lord's people before the second coming of the Savior. Could this be done without the keys of gathering delivered to us by the prophet Moses who held those keys and delivered them to Joseph Smith? Could organized stakes of the Church be established in the far-flung areas of the world without the divine right to do so? We readily see, then, that the powers given by the angels to the Prophet Joseph Smith remained with the Church, and they still remain with the Church. They are centered always in one man, the President of the Church, the Prophet, Seer, and Revelator. It could not be any other way. This is the Lord's pattern. This is the way he directs and conducts his work. Surely Amos spoke truly when he said, The Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secrets unto his servants, the prophets. In the words of President Wilfred Woodruff, Let me exhort all elders of Israel and saints of God to rise up in the majesty and dignity of their calling and make full proof of their ministry and covenant. Sustain by your works the authorities, keys, and priesthood. 
The eyes of God, angels, and men are over you. And when the work is finished, you will receive just compensation. I know that my Redeemer lives. He has made known to me personally that what I have said here today is true. God, our Heavenly Father, lives. This Church is His Church. Jesus, our Savior, directs the work, and President Kimball is His prophet. This I solemnly testify by all that I hold sacred, and in the holy name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.